Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where each and every week we come to you with exciting content that we hope has one goal, and that is to inspire you to get outside and do more. Uh, My name is Walt. Normally, under (laughs) a normal season, you'd be listening to me and my co-host, Chase, but dude, I'm telling you, with hunting season and everybody trying to record episodes and film and scout and hunt and babies and family commitments, this fall has been worse than bonkers. And uh, we we have just not been able to link up, but that's okay because at some point in time we will. You got to hear last week from Chase and Brandon as they went and uh, did like a pre-scouting deal over in Missouri. And while they were doing that, I was able to sneak some hunts in and film a promo reveal for a new product that's going to be really exciting for you guys. And I'm excited. It's that time of year. In fact, I'm looking at the calendar and we've got a 50 degree weather uh, front coming through and with the rut on one of my properties kicking off that is going to be absolutely money and I'm just hoping that I can truly take advantage of it so we're going to see what happens here in the coming days maybe that gets them up on their feet moving uh, the, the moon is right all the conditions are right should be cool if I get something down early but uh, this episode we're going to have some fun with it because along with all the scheduling conflicts we've had people who just who wanted to come on the show who accepted an invite and then they couldn't make it because of all kinds of different reasons and uh, instead of you guys going without an episode, it occurred to me that we are almost to 300 episodes on uh, the, the, the the podcast is almost to 300 episodes, just to say. And there's probably some episodes that you guys don't know about. And if you go back to the original, like all the way back in the beginning of time, we had some real gems that still surface today. Some of our diehard fans still reference them. Um, they are gut-bustingly funny. And today we're going to highlight one of those Taylor Chamberlain came on episode 47, which feels like it was just decades ago. 
Uh, it was, let's see, July 10th of 2018 was when we had him on, and this remains one of our most popular episodes to date. So we're going to have a throwback. You're going to hear a much younger, uh, less sleep-deprived version of Walter on that episode because that was, I think, about 40 years ago when we, we recorded this one. So <laughs> um, we, we do have some announcements to make. Uh, first and foremost, we got to thank the Patreon subscribers who helped make this show possible uh, with YouTube cracking down on ad revenue for hunting channels. Uh, Patreon gives us a very serious uh, backup fund that we can rely on uh, to buy equipment, to host the website, to travel and offset travel costs. In fact, uh, Part of uh, the filming and, and traveling costs for Chase's Missouri trip is going to be coming from Patreon funds, which is huge. And so, you know, that's why we have the cell filmer there to document that, or not, or not the cell filmer. That's why he has a cameraman there to document that trip and bring that to you guys. Uh, we also have Digital Deer Camp, which is our little community of Parco Polo and our little mini forum that we have. And uh, the mini forum is available to anybody who wants to join. It's a wonderful community of like-minded people who is really there just to share information, uh, encouragement, uh, wisdom. I mean, it's just an awesome, awesome group that continues to grow. we got two more people to announce, uh, Daniel Calero, Salero, and Eric Vanderford. Thank you both uh, for signing up to support the podcast. I really appreciate it. And the good news, guys, we have hats. Oh, boy. They are at the embroiderer right now. And uh, as soon as I get those back, we're going to get those out to you guys. And be sure to check out the website. We've got a... Uh, a Florida-themed hunting shirt that is going to be on pre-order for a couple more days, and then we're going to put in an order to get those out to you guys. It's really cool. It's got the it says Florida Hunter, be legendary, hunt Florida. It kind of kind of ties in a lot of the different themes that go into being a Florida hunter. So uh, go check it out. It's twenty dollars online. We'd love to get one out to you to celebrate some of the hardest working individuals uh, who who support the show on a routine basis. So. Uh, with that, we got some really cool guests coming up. Uh, hopefully, I can get Jake Bush on, who just killed an absolute monster in Ohio. Uh, incredible story. Incredible guy. Cannot wait to get him back on the show and kind of pick his brain, because the dude is an absolute freak in the woods and one of the most modest people. So congratulations to you, buddy. I know that was a emotional deal there for you. I'll let you tell your story, but I just wanted to say kudos to you and uh, kudos to Charles Massengill and several other people, Chicken Buck Paul, uh, split shot. Wait, no, yeah, split shot. Shot a doe. Uh, John Porter shot a hog. Man, there are there are dead animal pictures showing up in that uh, in that polo group and uh, in the in our in our forum. So it's it's an awesome thing. And but we also need to give away a rangefinder. So every year, four times a year, we do giveaways. And this qu- previous quarter, we gave away a Vortex rangefinder. And so the winner of that's going to be Michael, aka Split Shot Wallace. That dude is a wealth of information in the group. So Michael, congratulations, dude. I am so happy to be sending this to you, and uh, yeah, man, thanks for everything you do. He is he he constantly contributes really awesome information over there from dog hunting or public lands etiquette, all kinds of cool stuff. Guys, great to have over there. Couldn't go to a more deserving person. And very soon, we're going to announce what the next set of giveaways are. So, with that said, guys, uh, go check out the website. Go check out Patreon if you'd like to support the show and help us with with uh, our adventures and our growth. Uh, that money gets put right back into the podcast. And let's get you onto the podcast because this one is funny. So if you're listening to this one, be ready because you're going to laugh. I had to edit out a bunch of laughter when I first edited this, and I can't wait to go back and listen to it again. So let's get you all to Taylor. Well, guys, I am on the phone now with uh, a guest that I am delighted. I say this every week, and, and I'm, I'm Jack. This week, I, I am delighted to have chased down a man with, with very little time, uh, 
between his uh, work life and his uh, 365 a day obsession with chasing whitetails, uh, I was able to to track down Taylor Chamberlain, and he joins us now. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great, man. How are you? Oh, any better? I couldn't stand it. You know, if put put me up in a tree stand, and I'd be even happier. But uh, tis the season. Well, we can for do sca- that. You just gotta you gotta hop in a car, and you'll be good. What What do you think that is from 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 the Panhandle? A fourteen hour drive? Well, I know exactly what it is. It's uh, yeah, it's I think it's like an eleven to twelve hour drive, depending on time of day and traffic. Okay, um, I'll bite. How do you know exactly the time? Well, so my uh, my brothers and I and my family, we all grew up. Uh, going down to Fort Lauderdale in the summer um, for years of growing up. And we drove that most of the time, which is effing miserable, (laughs) Uh, especially when you're crammed in a car with your three other brothers and mom and dad. So uh, I knew that when we hit Northern Florida, uh, it was only like seven hours to go. So I think it's 11 hours. Well, well, then uh sound, sounds like I just need to get with you uh for all the, for all the good stops on the way and and uh we'll just I com- could tell you I could tell you more bad ones than good ones. <laughs> <laughs> you want boiled peanuts or gas station food? We got you covered. <laughs> hey, I'm sure you got I'm sure you got uh mall marker uh uh bathrooms picked out too. Yeah, well, those those are about half a mile after the gas station burrito, so <laughs> <laughs> well guys I'm, I'm sure at this point you're now wondering why the heck where, where the heck this is going but uh taylor is a you you hail well i'll tell you what i'm not gonna do it for you you, you you're more qualified than myself why don't you kind of give everybody the the background information as to who taylor chamberlain is and why they should listen to every word you have to say well i highly recommend you don't listen to every word i have to say unless <laughs> you want to have a have a good laugh uh so i live in Northern Virginia. I'm an avid whitetail hunter. Um, I don't know if the people listening, uh, know or not, but we have a huge problem with, with whitetails being overpopulated here in the suburbs of Washington, DC. And, uh, I am fortunate that I get to be one of the few people that, uh, enjoys hunting in this area instead of, um, you know, enjoying sitting in traffic and being a complaining person. So, I um I get to bow hunt year round here with our season and uh, it's awesome. I get to spend as many days as I want in a tree. I'm fortunate that my amazing wife allows me to spend uh, a little over 200 days is what I hunted this calendar year uh, in a tree and um, I get to hunt. Uh, we have unlimited deer tags when it comes to antlerless deer, so it's routine for me to shoot anywhere from. 60 to 100 deer a year on a on a good year uh on a bad year you shoot you know 30 to 60 deer so no shortage of meat in my fridge um and if you you want to know some opinions on broadheads or arrows or how to keep your butt comfortable in a tree uh, i think that i'm a pretty good test of that because i pretty much torture test every product that uh comes through my hands so okay all right I try not to interrupt too often, but I've got to, already got to stop you right there. Do you have a Broadhead sponsorship? Because that has got to be the most expensive component of what you do. 40 to 60 deer? Yeah, 60 to 100. I mean, it's not as good. I probably, if, I'd have to look through and add up how many I've shot on average. But yeah, it averages right around probably like 60 to 70 a year for the last I don't know, like five years or so. So yeah, it's a lot of broadheads. I've, um, I do not have a broadhead sponsorship. I, um, uh, 
I, I know some guys in the industry and I'm fortunate that I get some at a very steep discount, but a discount still isn't free. Um, but yeah, I, I've been shooting the rage hypodermics. I, I, I find a uh, mechanical broadhead really works a lot better than a fixed blade broadhead for what I'm doing. Now I'm very rarely ever taking a shot over 20 yards. Most of the time, you know, I'd say 99% of the deer that I shoot are between 12 and 14 yards. So uh, putting the biggest hole possible in them um, is a big, big, big deal because there's a huge difference in my world from a deer dropping in 30 yards and 50 yards because that neighbor's pool could be at 75 yards. And the last thing I need is another pool bill of having to clean out uh, a pool from what looked like a scene from the Godfather. So, <laughs> okay. That, that brings up a different question, but before, before I can even get to that, I, how many deep freezers do you have at the house? I mean, <laughs> I only, I actually only have two deep freezers at the house. So we have a program here in uh, Northern Virginia. Actually, I guess it's all of Virginia. It's called Hunters for the Hungry. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, a lot of states have a similar thing. So I'm able to take a deer and donate it to a butcher for no cost to me. And they donate the meat to homeless shelters and uh, food banks for people in need to come grab. So it really works out great because even though I'm a big boy, there's zero chance that I could be <laughs> anywhere close to that many deer. I'll tell you what, what makes me feel bad though. So, um, they grind up all of those deer. So you can keep kind of select portions of it. Like I'll keep a couple uh... rows, I keep a lot of tenderloins. So if you want to feel bad, make a tenderloin ragu and put it on spaghetti sauce. I mean, cause it's, I have a freezer full of tenderloins. So, um, and some burger, but yeah, when you're cooking with tenderloin and using it in, in every meal, any form other, <laughs> yeah, in any form other than just salt and pepper on the grill, um, you, you start to feel a little wasteful, but yeah, it, it doesn't suck. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I just, I, I, I teed that up on purpose just because I could see people in all parts of the country listening to this and going, Oh, what's he doing with 70 to hundred deer? You know, like I could just, I, yeah. could, I could see the, 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 the tar and feathers coming out immediately. Oh, that's all over me, man. <laughs> the biggest mistake I ever made was going on Instagram and being open about what's going on. Cause a lot of people are not a fan of uh, shooting deer in people's backyards. And I mean, it's nothing like what people think it is or sometimes i guess it could be but i mean it's not like you're sitting on top of the basketball hoop shooting them when they're coming out to feed i mean they're a wild animal they want to live and they learn where people are picking them off so um you well, know well it, and it's it's easier hunting right i mean like it's not even real hunting yeah totally yeah <laughs> that was sarcasm for anybody who's tell, wondering what tell the... that tell that to the film crew that came out to film a documentary on me and uh i think they expected that and so like i think we went five or six hunts didn't see a single deer and eventually one of them was like dude like what's going on i was like oh this is really my first time i've never really been hunting before just <laughs> joking around and uh, i mean people <laughs> think that they're just deer behind every bush it, what's weird is they're actually I think they kind of tend to be a little nomadic. So they're in these big herds and they just kind of rotate through however big their, their 
kind of rotation is because they've over browsed the area so badly. Uh, there's just not a lot of a food source for them to to set up that typical like core bedding area to feed pattern that that you normally have like in the the real world as a lot of hunters that like to blow me up would say (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure they're nomadic but they're probably nomadic because you're chasing them man they're probably always on their feet running away (laughs) yeah at some point they're gonna have a wanted poster with my face on it hiding around (laughs) don't go over there that 240 pound squirrel has sharp sticks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, not, now that we cover just about anything that somebody might throw some shade at you for, um, and they do, they if for everybody who's listening, like he does catch some serious like flack from time to time. There was a a photo of a doe that he killed, and somebody's like, uh, they make some snarky comment like, "How how could you shoot that? It's not deer season or something like that." I'm like, God, he has got to deal with this on a routine basis. But it, oh, <laughs> dude, that's easy stuff. You you want to you want to have some fun. Go into a highly populated suburban area of the the suburbs of Washington, D.C., surrounded by, you know, 15 million liberals and go knock on their door and ask if you can shoot a deer in their backyard. You get a lot of funny responses. I bet you do. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, for the most part, it's something that's taboo. You know, a lot of people around here. Uh, they didn't grow up hunting. They've never been exposed to hunting and they just, they don't know what's going on. And what, uh, it's just kind of funny to me. I mean, yeah, I'm a normal looking dude. I, you know, I have a job. I'm pretty clean cut. I'm well-educated. Some would argue. And, um, I, I think it, they just, I've had uh, dozens of people tell me before, like, you're not what I expected when, when we agreed to have somebody hunt here. And I've always asked them, like, what do you mean by that? And all of them just say, like, well, we expected some guy in, like, army fatigues that that just <laughs> wanted to shoot everything, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah. and that's just their perception of what a hunter is, which is just right. kind of interesting. It makes sense, though. I mean, realistically yeah. speaking, it makes sense. I mean, the, the we've talked about that on this podcast routinely, is that the the – the stereotype of a hunter is some Bubba in a, a truck that barely makes it down the road that, you know, shoots anything that moves, you know, and, uh, that's not really accurate, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people, uh, think a hunter is. And, uh, you know, it's kind of on us as hunters to, to change the perception of it and <laughs> not be a bunch of road hunters riding down the road, shooting stuff, so. <laughs> road stroking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we we got the hateful part out the way. We covered all of our bases. So now, if you have any anything to say, uh, just forego sending it to me, y'all, and just send it straight to Taylor. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Taylor, you, you you have a really unique way of uh, of hunting, and I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to kind of elaborate. Uh, on uh how you pursue these animals on all these different properties because you do hunt uh, uh quite a great many number of of properties if i'm not mistaken yeah so uh you know i think it's really important as a hunter or to be a successful hunter to always try to be learning and adapting um and that's kind of what we do as all hunters across the board so for me my way of of adapting or what i needed to do uh was figure out a, a better system to be 
mobile or semi-mobile uh, and service all these different clients that I whose property I hunt on. So within a 15-minute drive of my house, I have over a thousand trees that I could climb and hunt from. Um, so at any one time, I'm probably have between like 20 to 50 properties that I'm hunting on. And um, those properties vary in size from a quarter acre to, to you know, 90 acres. Um, actually, I take that back. There's one that's like 200 acres that I hunt on. But um, so I've had to figure out a way to, to hunt all those trees. Because if I had to buy a thousand tree stands, I'd be single and living in a shack because my wife would have taken everything. So, um, <laughs> what, what I kind of got into about 10 years ago, I started hunting from a tree saddle, uh, and the saddle game has really evolved over the years. And, a, a new company, uh, just recently came out, they're called tethered nation and, um, they've developed just the ultimate saddle as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, now I am granted I'm a little biased because I, I helped them with some of the R and D with the saddle before it came out, but. Um, you know, again, 200 hunts a year, you're spending four hours a hunt, uh, that that's, you know, 800 hours a year of my butt hanging in one of these slings. So I think you can get pretty good, pretty quick of, uh, feedback on it. So, um, so I find that the saddle system is really the ultimate way for me to hunt because I can prep trees with, with some type of climbing stick or a climbing step in them and leave them depending on where the stand is or where the, the tree is. Uh, or I can just take in, you know, a set of my lone wolf sticks and climb a tree and be up at hunting height in no time. So, um, and what, what's really great about hunting from a saddle versus a stand is when I'm on a quarter acre lot, there might be like three trees in somebody's backyard. So if, if I was hunting from a climber and none of those three trees work for a climber, I'm SOL. Uh, whereas the saddle, I can climb any tree that's from four inches in diameter to a flat wall. If I had to, I could climb and hunt from. So, um, that is just super helpful. And, and the tethered, uh, they have of both a saddle and a platform and the platform is just freaking awesome uh the platform allows you to shoot 360 degrees around the tree and just be completely silent in doing so actually i shot a doe last night and um she came in straight behind me and i was able to just rotate and spin you know 360 degrees around without her knowing and was able to put a put a shot on her and you know she went down to like 30 yards so um yeah without a saddle i don't i would i kill deer sure uh, would I kill as many deer? Probably nowhere close to as many because it, it just opens up so many other properties to hunt from and allows you to bounce around to a bunch of different trees um, so you can keep the deer guessing, which is really important. I, I mean, the the benefits to that, you know, I've been talking to Greg for a while and, you know, I've kind of been eyeballing a saddle long before uh, the tethered system came out and, I think the the ability to discreetly go in there uh, and not have left something for landowners to have to look at or perhaps even their neighbors to look at on some of these smaller chunks has probably got to be a huge advantage. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and for me, uh, you know, some of the places that I hunt, I mean, granted, this is a super populated area. So the places that I'm hunting on Saturday morning are often the places that 
the high schoolers were all crushing natty lights at on Friday night. And, you know, if I had a set of climbing sticks in a tree with a stand there, they're the pretty good odds that some guy's going to be sleeping in it when I get there or somebody will have screwed with it. And, um, you know, really where I'm, where I'm doing all my hunting, being out of sight and out of mind is just absolutely invaluable. 100% critical. It's invaluable. And, uh, to be able to do that and, um, to be discreet and to be able to hunt trees that other people can't is just, you can't put a price on it. Plus, I mean, not to mention, it's also super safe. I mean, like I I remember when I used to hunt out of a regular tree stand, I was convinced I was going to fall out of one at some point because, you know, you, you're focused on a deer and you're not really paying attention to where your feet are going. And, you know, you stand up too quick, you might just fall over depending on how many bourbons you had the night before. So, um, you know, the, the saddle prevents that from being any type of <laughs> I was taking a sip of water as you said that. <laughs> well, at me. least it was bourbon. <laughs> <coughs> Doggone. <laughs> it got me right in the windpipe. I was trying not to spit water all over my equipment. <coughs> Good news is I can edit that out. Um or leave it. <laughs> or leave it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> no, but you're right. It, it does seem incredibly uh, safe, and, and Greg kind of talked about that. And, and you know, it's uh, it's not uh, in a traditional tree stand. You're trying to uh, stop yourself if you fall, whereas with the saddle, it seems like the entire system is to prevent you from falling in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, dude, it's it, kind of a no If brainer. you fall out of the saddle, you you've earned it. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is pretty hard. I, like I. I mean, God, I've hunted out of a saddle for 10 years now, and I don't think I've ever even, like, been – had any type of some instance where I thought for a millisecond that I could possibly fall. That's awesome. I mean, I've, I've slept in one. I mean, no. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not talking like a deep sleep counting count sheep, but uh, it's not uncommon for me to get into an area like an hour before first light and just put my hands kind of up through the, uh, through the bridge and just like fall asleep. Oh, okay. All right. That makes more sense. I thought you meant like you, you camped out. We, we had talked off the air, oh. maybe on the air about being able to hunt at night. And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, no. So I can't hunt at night. No, but I haven't fallen asleep. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to climb this tree and sleep here for eight hours. And what, no. no, but I've definitely been like, wow, why'd I have that last beer at hunting camp last night? And climbed up in and taking a little cat nap. <laughs> now, now w- w- with hunting camp, you mean your back deck, right? Yeah, exactly. All my buddies that come over to hunt on my back porch. There, it was funny. Um, when I first got out of college, like 10 years ago, I joined a lease with a bunch of buddies down in like central Virginia. It was like three hours away. And I remember going down there with them. And every time we're sitting around the campfire, I'm like, why did we come down here? Like, we're not, we didn't see any deer. I, we could have killed 15 deer at home. <laughs> like, you know, I, and finally I was like, guys, this is stupid. There are more deer back home and we need to be killing them back home. And we have higher quality deer. I mean, you know, we don't have a bunch of hammers walking around, but, there's some big, big bucks walking around in, in this area as well, just because they don't get shot. They just grow old and die. I mean, our biggest problem is the the numbers of them. So, you know, the big bucks won't have to chase those everywhere. They just sit in their bed, you know, looking like Jabba the Hutt, breeding every chick they want to that <laughs> walks by. Um, 
but you know, you get, you see some slobs every year. That's awesome, dude. That's okay. So let's just cut right into it, man. Like you, you said, you see some slobs. I mean, what, what, what's the biggest, I don't do this very often, but what's the, cause what, when I think overpopulation, I think of small deer. So what's the largest racked buck that you've shot urban hunting? Uh, well, the largest rack buck, actually my buddy shot, um, and it went a skosh under 160. Shut up. Yeah. And he shot it in about a three acre patch of HOA ground behind his own house. And, um, now I will preface that with, I'm not a huge trophy deer hunter. I love shooting trophy deer. I think anybody who tells you that they don't is just a, a liar. Um, you can say it full I, of shit. I, yeah, <laughs> full of shit. But um, in the same right, I mean, you know, I kind of see it as it's it's kind of my mission to shoot as many deer as possible because the numbers are so out of whack. However, if I have a one and a half year old scrub buck in front of me and a doe, I'm shooting the doe every time. And and we only get three um, antler buck tags a year so they do limit the number of buck tags that we get so i i shoot as many does as i possibly can and i try to harvest three mature bucks a year um i think it was three years ago and and what i consider a mature buck is if i see any any buck that is three and a half and older and is you know 130 plus 135 plus i'm shooting that deer um I've, I've let that deer walk in the past a lot and it just doesn't do any good because the deer will just end up getting hit by a car or we'll move on and and you'll never see it again. So I don't think it's really possible, uh, to kind of like pattern a specific buck in the suburbs because they just tend to kind of move around and, and I'm only able to hunt on, you know, such postage stamp properties here and there. And even if I get 10 properties in a row, you still can't be anywhere close to be competing with that buck's kind of core area, uh, especially in this area. So it's kind of, it's almost kind of like being the right place at the right time kind of opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, I've found over the years, if you're, you know, smart with your access, smart with how often you're hunting an area and then hunt pinch points and funnels, the, the you're going to shoot a hammer every year. The, the um, the deer tend to run the creek beds, and that's because all the area is so overdeveloped around here that the only places that they can't develop are the lowland kind of creek areas sure. or floodplains. And so those just become humongous travel corridors for deer, and they just filter through them. Sometimes they bed in them. Um, and so if you're able to sit long enough in those kind of – I mean, that's a pinch point. Uh, just an urban bench point, but if you're able to sit in them, you know, you'll see some, some big bucks walking through. So I, I think that the average podcast host would, would say, Hey, tell me your greatest success story. But unfortunately I'm a sick son of a gun. And, uh, <laughs> I, I want to know what is your greatest blunder from the saddle urban hunting? Uh, Only one. Shitting my pants during a hunt. Wait, what? Yeah, that would be my biggest blunder. If, I mean, if we're going to be straightforward and honest, it was that. Yeah. We, was he that big a buck? 
No, man. It was my mom's chili the night before. <laughs> this this was like the most colossal nightmare scenario I think anyone could ever have happen. I was um, I was hunting on this tiny little floodplain parcel that has houses all around it. And it was like Monday morning, Odark 30. I'm walking in. I get to my tree. My stomach just starts growling. And I'm like, ooh. And I'm like, I could probably take a dump right now. But, I mean, I'm not going to because I'm trying to hunt. So I climb up to the top of the tree. I'm sitting there. Everything settles down. Uh, about, I don't know, two hours later, two and a half hours later, here comes some does. Awesome. Kind of step over in the saddle with my bow. Now, mind you, I still film all my hunts, so I have this entire thing on tape. Oh. I, I step over, and I'm, like, waiting to draw my bow, and all of a sudden, I get hit with the bubble guts. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, you know, and I'm saying out loud, I'm like, no, no, no. Get your head around it. Get on top of it. Come on. You got this. It's all and, mental. Uh, yeah, it's all <laughs> mental. Yeah. Tell that to the chili, the second bowl of chili that was uh, making room. So um, the dough kind of wanders in the lead dough. I come to full draw, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the adrenaline or something. But as soon as I came to full draw, I just started shitting my pants. And so I'm like, I, I anchor and I I shoot her, and I'm I just fully pooped myself like a 95 year old man in a hospital, right? And uh, I'm. I gut shot the deer and I'm going like, no, 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 no. I just can't believe I've done this to myself. <laughs> and the doe runs about 30 yards and looks back at me. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm hunting in a saddle. All the pressure in a saddle is on your butt. So the poop is just everywhere on my butt cheeks. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God. Like I'm like an effing four year old right now with a diaper blowout. <laughs> And the doe's looking at me, and I'm just like, please run away. Please run away. Please run away. She doesn't. She beds up right there. So now I have to sit in my poopy diaper waiting for the doe to expire that is gut shot looking back at the tree that shot her in a super urban area because if I move and get down, guess what? She's going to bolt, and I'm now going to have a dead deer in some neighbor's backyard and poopy butt so i have to sit there in my own shit for like four hours while this deer dies no I get down. yes it was it was around three and a half hours and i was texting my brothers just saying like this is the worst day of my life i would rather jump out of the tree than get down and proceed with this finally the doe dies i get down i'm just disgusting and it's like january in the suburbs every house can see into the floodplain so it's not like you can clean yourself up <laughs> in the woods so i had to go down field dress a gut shot deer which sucks but is only second in the world of disgustingness to what i had on my own butt and backside <laughs> which then i had to go get in my car and figure out how i was going to drive home with poop all over my butt and back and no change of clothes. Awesome. So biggest <laughs> wonder in the woods would be shitting myself in the tree. 
and just shooting Adele. So, oh my! Congratulations! I don't, I don't think you'll top that story on any <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we have had people that have shot trees with bows trying to kill turkeys. Yeah. We have, yeah. we have had a lot of blunders, but I, I don't think yeah. anybody has shit themselves and sat in it for six hours. Yeah, mom's chili. Thanks a lot, mom. <laughs> I had to have my 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 wife had to hose me off when I got home. Oh wow! Like a dog, like a dog. That woman, <laughs> that woman deserves a medal. Yeah. Screw screw push presents. You get a you get a diamond ring when you hose me off after being a pig in my own feces for five hours. Oh, oh god, the chaffage must have been horrible. It was horrible. It was the worst day of my life. I actually didn't go hunting for like three days, which is like six months in my world uh after that because i was just so disgusted i had to like hose my saddle off even though it didn't get any on it it stunk like shit because it sat in poop i mean it was like a it was a nightmare absolute nightmare. funny story so on that same property like two weeks later i'm sitting there and i'm in the tree it's like perfect morning um sun comes up leaf blowers fire up and, um, and I'm like, oh, awesome. Now, a lot of people get pissed off when the landscapers show up on an urban hunt because they think the deer are going to not show up. Not true. Landscapers are awesome. It's like a deer drive because the deer are running away from the landscapers and often they'll come right by you. So I'm sitting there about 15 minutes after the leaf blowers fire up. I hear crunch, 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 crunch. And I look over thinking, expecting to see a deer I see one of the landscaper crew guys sprinting towards the woods, holding his butt. And he dropped trowel about 20 yards from my tree and proceeded to relieve, relieve himself from what looked and smelled to be a seven 11 burrito. And, um, yeah. And I'm like, dude, dude, no moss, no moss. Like yelling from the tree, completely oblivious to the world. This guy was so, I actually haven't hunted that tree since then. There was back-to-back poop incidents uh, <laughs> near that tree. I just figured it was bad news bears out of there. Oh my god, that's a that's a damned tree, dude. That that yeah. is a that is a cursed tree. Yeah, we call it the shit tree for <laughs> a clever name, right? <laughs> if you ever if you ever needed to uh, uh, possum hole somebody, that's that's yeah. where you'd send them. I'm afraid to go get my tree sticks out of that tree. I'll probably poop myself getting them. The thing is cursed. Okay, so I think at this point everybody's wondering if if uh, urban saddle hunting literally revolves around bowel movements. And <laughs> you know, you spend enough time with a tree. <laughs> oh, listen, I I I have left more sock tops and socks as a hole in the woods than probably anybody now. I've never shit myself and sat in it, but <laughs> yeah, that's the worst part about yeah. about the urban hunting is, I mean, like, what are you going to do? You're you, everybody. There's 13 two million dollar houses that can see you, and they would certainly see my big fat white butt sticking out like a thumb. So, if if hopefully if Greg's listening, Greg or Ernie from Tethered, they can uh, create a saddle with a poop flap in the back for him. <laughs> if that ever happens again. <laughs> I think they have to make one custom for you with with some yeah. some, some Molly yeah. straps that can be undone, so you can just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How's that for versatility? Sit all day. 
<laughs> sleep, shit, and hell all all day long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so <laughs> to convince people that this is actually an enjoyable experience, uh, urban saddle hunting, uh, have have you ever had a, uh, a a super memorable? I mean, just like uh, once in a lifetime style hunt in in the urban hunting, or is it all just kind of business and poop? <laughs> yeah, just all emails and food. <laughs> no, man. I mean, you know what's really cool about the the urban hunting is just being able to um, to hunt deer and kind of watch the woods wake up like you normally would out in the middle of nowhere and on a farm or something, but in the suburbs and just kind of seeing how all these animals are have adapted um to the change in their ecosystem of us putting houses and and crap everywhere so i mean as far as memorable hunts yeah i love getting guys on deer i uh i mean i kill enough deer it's great for me i love getting together with a group of guys that might not be as experienced in hunting and helping them shoot you know their best buck ever or you know helping them get better at hunting and figure out how to hunt where and I mean, I'm no expert in that by any means, but at the same time, you know, I I enjoy helping other guys and watching that fire burn brighter for them. So um, my own personal best memorable hunt, I actually shot three Pope and Young bucks in four hunts uh, a couple years ago. Shut up. Yeah, that was sweet. Okay. I, I think, I think you have to share that story. (laughs) So, um, Actually, it kind of relates back to the the previous story about getting other guys on deer. So, I I went hunting with two other guys. <clears throat> I put one of my like best friends in college uh, in a tree, and I put another really good hunting buddy of mine in another tree. And then I climbed down and went to another spot. Uh, we hunt the morning. My one buddy texts me that he just shot a doe. Uh, then he shoots another text in. About fifteen minutes later, he shot another doe. And, uh, about 15 minutes after that, my other buddy's like, I just smoked a monster buck and I'm like, sweet. And I had a you know trail camera there and I knew that he, I knew a couple of the bucks that he was looking for and, um, or ones that I told him to please shoot. <clears throat> and, uh, he had shot it, shot it through the heart, watched it go down. So we all got out of the tree and I went and helped them all drag some deer Um, we went and grabbed lunch. They took their deer to the butcher and I went and climbed a different tree that evening. And, um, you know, night's going on. I actually wasn't able to hunt the tree that I wanted to. For some reason, I had this gut feeling to hunt a tree like 40 yards away and saw two really nice eight pointers come by right under the tree that I had originally wanted to hunt from. So I was sitting there cussing myself and just feeling like a dumbass. And, um, I heard a stick break and looked up and I saw a doe coming in and was able to swing around in my saddle and, uh, shot this gorgeous eight pointer, real heavy eight. Um, and I think he taped out around like 132 ish, wow. uh, which is nice for an eight pointer, just gorgeous long main beams are like 23 or 24 inches long. Um, awesome buck. So I was just tickled pink. Um, next morning went out hunting on a different property and I, I run a lot of trail cameras, uh, obviously, um, and had a gorgeous buck come in behind me, grunting a couple times. He went off following some does and then turned around and came in and shot him at 
you know, like 12 yards or something. And I watched him go down in the neighbor's house, um, a neighbor's backyard, which was ended up being awesome because the thing sprayed blood everywhere. It, it kind of reared up like a horse and fell over on his back and busted his left uh, G2 off, which sucked because that was like like a 16-inch G2. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but luckily it's stuck in the ground where it like got down and got tangled in a root. And we were able to get it put back on. Uh, but the neighbor, I had to get permission from the neighbor to track the deer, and he came out and I mean, there was blood everywhere. It looked like you took five-gallon Home Depot buckets of blood and just threw them everywhere <laughs> you possibly could. And he didn't care. He was like, oh, man. He's like, can you take some pictures of me holding the buck? I was like, sure, man. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you know? I was like, do you want me to clean this up? He was like, no, it's fine. I don't care. I was like, awesome. Thank you. Um, and then uh, – so that was the next morning. I hunted that evening with – my buddy, a buddy of mine and saw some movement, but didn't shoot one. And then the next morning I shot another, uh, low one thirties, eight pointer. So I killed, uh, you know, two low one thirties, eights and, um, and killed a really nice, uh, low one forties. I think it was a nine pointer. Well, it was a, a 10 pointer with some, including like a trash kicker on them. But, um, yeah can't beat that for a year so my taxidermist really loved that season for me yeah i i imagine he did i'm sure you didn't much care for that bill but yeah i mean what are you gonna do how often do you kill three poking young bucks in four days yeah (laughs) i don't think anybody does that dude yeah i mean you just can't uh it's hard to beat and then He's like, what are you going to do now? I was like, I don't know, man. I guess I'll go do some duck hunting and then go kill some more does. <laughs> that is, that's incredible, man. I, I was envious of you before and now you said that and now I'm just sitting here just wishing I could click. Cause I've got deer in my backyard too, man. I live out in the sticks a good bit and we, I put, I put out corn out there and then I've got, you know, different photos of them. Now I'm, I'm going to be out there shooting uh, practicing for deer season and sure enough i'm gonna be sitting there thinking god if this was dc i could i could climb that tree right now but yeah man and uh it i mean you know it's kind of funny because i was talking to some guys a while ago and um you just it's kind of funny how you always figure out a way to, to do what you love to do you know absolutely and, I, I never would have thought in a million years. So my family business is in the, the DC suburbs. I work in real estate development and um, you know, I would never have picked this area to live in at all. If, if I had a choice, right. I mean, not that I didn't have a choice, but uh, I knew what I wanted to do work wise. And so um, it turns out, you know, after coming back from college and that, I mean, this is the greatest place in the world for a sportsman to be. I can go over to the Potomac and fish and catch a lemon of, you know, striper and uh, go home and cook it on the grill. I can drive 45 minutes and go uh, shoot as many upland birds as possible with my little bird dog. And I can go drive, you know, five minutes, 15 minutes. I can walk out my back door and go shoot deer. So it, it's kind of funny that you end up finding a way to do what you love. And really, this area is kind of like the best kept secret in the world. Not anymore. Till, till now, yeah. <laughs> well, just warning, guys. I've shitting all these trees. So. 
it's like a dog listen, claiming territory. No, you know, see, you you see that as a deterrent. The way I look at it is, if I if I find shit at the base of a tree, uh, now, it's a good now, one. Now I know that <laughs> Taylor's been there, and I'm on the yeah. right path. It's like a rub line for me. Yeah, exactly. That's Taylor rub line. <laughs> That's the trail back to my truck. You got to go the other way to find the tree. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, God, that is just, it's awesome, man. I, you know, you, you, you kind of talked about how you don't expect to be somewhere that, uh, you, you have a life plan and sometimes you end up landing in other places and you end up, uh, appreciating them. The same thing kind of goes for me here. I, the state of Florida, I, I, I straddle two zones, and in one zone, my season starts September 1st, and it runs through the end of January, and then just literally across the county line, the season starts in October and runs through February, and I get the benefit of two different ruts. So for me, awesome. yeah, it's 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 unique. You know, a lot of people in the Midwest, they've got like this one week and or two week period where they, you know, the buck you got to get out there every day. And for me, it, I've got like a four week time span, man, where I can chase bucks during the rut and there there's some decent bucks up here i mean pope and young's kind of hard to come by but uh there's a good population of deer and but you know it's i remember my wife's like oh, she just told me she's like hey i'm going to fsu and i was like oh, okay great i guess i'm going to tallahassee and uh i got here and i was like oh two ruts a bunch of waterfowl okay you know what <laughs> maybe this isn't so bad after all so yeah well, and, uh, you know, my brothers all went to FSU. I have triple brothers, and uh, they loved it. That was, like, the best seven and a half years of their life there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of – lot well, of... And one of, them got a, one of them got a degree. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, man, it's uh... – it's cool. There's there's a good nightlife here. If the deer hunt isn't good, you can go into town and have yourself a blast. And uh, if you if you want a saltwater fish, you got a a good quarry of uh, options there. So it's it's cool, dude. It, just be you know work hard, and you can find you can make do with wherever you're at. I guess is the gist of that. Absolutely, and I think a lot of people do. They get bogged down in trying to go find the best hunting land or you know the best whatever, and and you know you get get kind of lost in the forest, uh, you know, looking at the trees and you, you don't realize like, you know, how lucky everyone is in their own right in different areas. And, you know, everything's relative, man. Like people, people be jealous about some dude shooting one sixties and, you know, they're only shooting one fifties and all that. I mean, God, it just have fun, man. Go good challenge yourself and have a blast and, you know, just keep it fun and, and don't, uh, don't make it too hard. Yeah, you know? absolutely. No, I, I agree with you, man. I think also, uh, the grass is always greener. There's a lot of people in the South that look at people in Ohio and they think, Oh man, they get to chase big bucks or Kansas, a lot of these places. But, you know, I get messages from people in Australia and, and other places where public land isn't even an option and hunting yeah. can only happen if you can pay thousands and thousands of dollars for the opportunity at one, maybe two animals a year. Yeah. And and if you live in the south, there there's hardly a state you can't harvest several deer on public land, so Yeah, or deer, hogs. I mean, there's plenty of of, of quarry out there to go after. I mean, you just need to just go. Um and I mean that's the thing. You just kind of figure out, you know, what you want to do and, and just go about it. You got it, Bubba. Well listen, I, I can smell uh <laughs> chili. 
uh, coming from the kitchen, which tells me I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to refrain from to sharing that story with my wife. Otherwise, we're gonna have uh, she, she's not gonna be pleased. But uh, I, I can smell dinner coming from the from the the kitchen right now. And and you and I have been on the phone for for a little bit of time now. I I want to be respectful of your time. But where you, you've got an Instagram page that you are very active on. Where where else can people, or if that's where you want them to direct them. Uh, where can people find you and, and, and follow the, the, the trees? So, uh, the best spot for me is, is urban Bowman on, uh, Instagram. Uh, I'm always kind of updating that. And, um, you know, I work with a group, uh, obviously tethered nation. You'll find a lot of my stuff popping up there and, um, you know, follow along and, and keep checking in for different spots. Um, going to try and put out a lot more content on YouTube, uh, this year than I have in years past, but I have some videos up on the urban sportsman, um, YouTube channel. So check them out and follow along. It's uh, pretty fun. There's a lot of cool hunts of, uh, different, different stuff happening in the suburbs. It's amazing what you see uh, <laughs> when you're sitting in a tree around houses year round. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, you, you know, I, I could go on for hours and days of different stuff that that's happened. Uh, we were joking about, I think we were talking earlier, um, kind of, I hunt some spots that kids party in and there's, there's one little floodplain area that, um, just these high school kids go to, to like drink beer and hook up at. And one Saturday morning during like late October, maybe early November, I'm jacked up for the rut. I go down there. I'm in the, the tree like an hour and a half before sunlight and I'm just ready to go. And sun comes up and I see something about 40 yards from my tree. And I'm like, what <laughs> in the hell is that? And the sun comes up and it's like football player Brad passed out on his face from drinking way too many Natty Lights <laughs> night, snoring. Okay. And I'm like, what in the F, man? Like, are you kidding me? So I'm sitting there like snowballing myself up about how angry I am that this guy's ruined my deer hunting spot. And I hear some leaves crunching and I look over to my left and here comes three does up over the hill, investigating the snores of football player, Brad laying down on the ground. So I come, come to full draw and shoot the, uh, the last doe in the group. She tears off like a bat out of hell right over the kid. And, uh, wakes him up and ends up crashing like 40 yards past him. It was, it, it was the coolest turn of events ever from, uh, <laughs> from, from a terrible morning to a great morning, I guess. So it's just kind of funny that the stuff that you see, uh, stuff you see in the woods here. Absolutely. Bubble hang tight. I'm going to wrap this up and uh, I want to chat with you, uh, Sounds good, as soon man. as I do guys, uh, this has been a humorous episode, and uh, I, I am beyond blessed that Taylor would take the time to, to chat with us and share some of these stories. And I, I know that there's a lot of people jonesing to be in the woods, and while we can't be uh, 20 feet up with Taylor year-round, it's it's coming quick, and I hope you're shooting your bow and, and uh, tinkering with your new toys. And Taylor does a lot of hunting, uh, it looks like, from his Instagram out west and do, doing a lot of stuff, and I'll, I'm likely to be going to a saddle harness here soon, so... Hopefully I can convince Taylor to come back on in the near future and, and uh, give us maybe some tips and tricks on the saddle harness and uh, maybe share some of his other outdoor stories with us. So if you enjoyed this, please leave me a rating or review on iTunes to say thank you, and I'll send you a decal. 
And until next time, I'm Walt.